Hebrews 8, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, verse 6, down through verse number 13. It says there, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And so tonight we're going to look at this sermon, our Bible study topic. Jesus' covenant is, is better. Jesus' covenant is better. Let's pray. Lord, as we look in the, at the passage in front of us this evening... And we look at the uh, Old Testament, New Testament, the law and grace, and Lord, the commitments or covenants that you've made with uh, your people, Israel. Help us to be challenged by it. And Lord, help us to be thankful that we can rest assured that your promises are always true and that you always keep your word. And Lord, we looked at some attributes of you a few minutes ago. They were shared by uh, your people. And Lord, uh, we, we looked at how powerful you are, but we looked at how merciful and caring you are with us. And so as we focus in on that tonight, help us to be grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What would the Bible be without covenants? What would God's relationship with us be without covenants? All the way back to, to Abraham, there, there were covenants made. In fact, you can go throughout the scripture and you can find a number of covenants that God made with a person for a group of people. There's the Abrahamic covenant. We looked at that one in great detail already. Uh, we've, uh, we, there's the Mosaic covenant. That's the one we'll be focusing in on tonight. There's the Davidic covenant or the covenant he made with David. And then there's this new covenant. Uh, and by the way, there is a covenant that he's made with the church. Now, the covenant we're going to look at tonight is not the covenant that's been made with the church. Uh, this is These covenants we're looking at tonight have strictly to do with the Israelites. But what would the Bible be if God had not made commitments to people? What would, how would your Christian life be if you didn't have God's promises to rest assured on? I have to tell you that it would be a whole lot tougher to live, isn't it? Wouldn't it be? Uh, we have the hope and the promise of eternal life. Titus says in, in God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. And we know that God can't lie, that God always keeps his word. Have you ever had someone make you a promise and they didn't follow through on it? We've all had that happen to us. 
And so uh, you don't want to get into a covenant with someone who can't keep their word uh, or someone who finds some technical loophole to get out of keeping their word. Uh, what good are you if your word is no good? What good are you if your word is no good? And God always keeps his word. He always keeps his word. The Bible is always true in, in every case. Uh, this afternoon I was doing some work and I had some earbuds in and I was listening to the book of Psalm. Uh, I love the book of Psalm. It's a comforting book for me. It's an enjoyable book to listen to. And I came across a verse in my listening. It said, uh, I, it, David says, I, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. Never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. When I heard of that verse, I thought to Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. And take no thought for your life, um, uh, but let, let that take thought for itself. And... Uh, God holds your tomorrows, does he not? And we don't have to be concerned about things, those things because we have a God that is a provisionary. Jehovah Jireh in Genesis 22, uh, I, uh, uh, God that provides, the God who provides. And so it's his nature uh, to provide. It's God's nature to keep his word. He's never lied. Let me just say this here. If God ever broke one of his covenants, he would cease to be God. Let me say that again. If God ever broke one of his covenants, he would cease to be God. Now, the problem with the covenants that God made with, uh, through Moses with his people, it was, an, it was a broken covenant. But it was not broken because of God. It was broken because of the Israelites. And that covenant that was given to them never, uh, it ended up not being the one that, that, that would fulfill Israelites and carry them across the finish line. And we'll see here that uh, the author of Hebrews finds fault with the first covenant. But let me be really clear. It wasn't that uh, the uh, author of Hebrews is finding fault with God, God's end of the covenant. It was the Israelis' end of the covenant. Well, I have two uh, main points for you this evening. There's a good chance we'll get all the way through the Bible study, but don't hold your breath because I'll probably chase rabbits and we'll make it through point one letter A and it'll be 815. Now we'll see how far we get. Number one, notice the covenant of Moses. The covenant of Moses. Now remember again who Hebrews is written to. Brother Mark, who was Hebrews written to? The Hebrews. It was written to the Jews. And so um, uh, these Hebrew people have transitioned out of Judaism or are trying to transition out of Judaism and into Christianity. They're trying to leave Judaism and come into Christianity and they're getting caught up on some of the technicalities of, of the religion. And so you have the old covenant and you have the new covenant. And they're not wanting to leave the old covenant behind. And so here the author is trying to say Jesus's covenant is far superior to the old covenant. Well, uh, notice the phrase there, you will, you will. I'm going to come back to that in a moment after I give you point two. Is it written on the back of your, um, uh, on there, what the, uh, what that little phrase is? Does it say? I don't know what the, let me see the back of the bulletin real quick. This says, I will. Okay. So as you will, it's already written there for you. So I 
not like it's going to be some grand reveal. You will and I will. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament with the, uh, the uh, Mosaic Covenant, it was left up to them to get it done. What am I saying is that the covenant was conditional. The covenant was conditional. When we get to the new covenant in point two, the covenant with these Israelites was unconditional. It had nothing to do with their behavior. It had everything to do with God. So we're going to look at the old covenant versus the new covenant. Uh, number one, the covenant of Moses. Letter A, notice it's stimulus. It's stimulus. What were they promised? What was the incentive? If they followed the covenant, if they kept the laws, what was the stimulus? Go back with me to Exodus chapter 9. Hold your place in Hebrews. We're going to be away from uh, Hebrews 8 for just a bit here. Uh, and th- this is all meant to be groundwork to help us better understand Hebrews 8. Okay, So Hebrew, or Exodus chapter 9 and look at verse number 1. Here we have the Israelites. They've made it out of uh, Egypt across the Red Sea. And they've made it up to Mount Sinai. And God is coming down and speaking to the people. And look at verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, I'm in, uh, am I in the right place? Maybe, no, it's Exodus 19. Excuse me. Exodus 19, 1. There we go. Uh, in the third month, when the children of Israel were uh, gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. 19, verse 2. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, notice the word if there, this is a conditional covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure, Unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy and an holy nation. There, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of, of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I come unto them in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people Unto the Lord. So God comes down to the Israelites here or speaks to the Israelites through Moses and says, listen, if you will keep the covenant, then I will make of you a peculiar treasure. I will make you a holy nation. You will be a uh, an elevated nation. Now, what if God came down in 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 a spirit, in an audible voice and uh, and hovered over Washington, D.C. and all of the lawmakers and the president and uh, uh, the judicial branch of the Supreme Court were to come out on the steps and they were to have a conversation with God and God were to say to them, if you will fear me and your people will revere me, I will make of you a great nation. Boy, you know what? That has not audibly happened, but that has happened through this book. Okay? That has happened in this book. And that's what happened here. God said, I will make of you a holy nation. I will make of you a great nation, but you have to keep 
the covenant. You have to follow the covenant. You said, well, what was, what were the, the details of the covenant? I'm glad you asked. Notice letter B. It's standards. It's standards. Okay. Go back over to Exodus, uh, chapter 20, and we'll find this and this here. Okay. Let me just pause for a minute here. You ever gotten into a discussion with someone who's just a skeptic of Christianity? And they will say things like, well, uh, you can't just say that homosexuality is an abomination because so is eating unclean animals. And I see you eating pig. So clearly that's changed. Uh, and they'll throw the Old Testament laws that we don't follow today at us. How many of you ever had somebody do that to you? All right. What do you do with that argument? I'm going to show you right here. That the covenant with Moses, okay, some of that covenant is still around today, but most of it isn't. Let me break down the standards of this covenant, the principles, the rules of this covenant into three categories, all right? Notice first, moral laws, moral laws or commandments, commandments. Exodus chapter 20, we find the Ten Commandments. Here's what I'll tell you. When it comes to morality, God never changes his mind. Never. If it's immoral in the Old Testament, it will always be immoral. Stealing was a sin in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Law. It is still a sin today. That never changes. And so you go through the book of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and where you find God giving a moral law... That law is still applicable today. I heard somebody say, well, if it's not repeated in the New Testament, then it's out. It doesn't count. Well, hold on a minute. If it's a moral law in the Old Testament, it's a moral law today. You know why? Because God, when it comes to morality, is uh, it's a big word here. It's a big, fancy, highfalutin word. And the word is immutable. That means he never changes. When it comes to morality, God never changes. And so uh, we need to make sure that we hold to that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 down through verse 26, God lays out for the Israelites the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And these aren't the only moral laws. You go throughout the, the, the Pentateuch here, the first five books of the Bible, and there are other places where the moral laws are laid out. But you need to understand the scene here, okay? You have God speaking to Moses. So real quick here, um, Moses goes to the people, and says, if you'll do A, B, and C, or if you'll keep the covenant, God will make of you a great nation. And the people say, okay, go back and tell God that we'll do whatever he wants, because that's what we want. And so Moses goes and tells God, okay, they're all in. And God says, all right, I'm going to come down in a thick cloud over the mountain. I'm going to speak to the Israelites. So God does that. He comes down in a really big cloud, a thick cloud, and there's thunder and lightning, and it's dark and it's scary. And God's voice begins to rumble across the Israelites, and it scares the daylights out of them. And they go to Moses and say, look, this is terrifying. You just go up in the mountain and you talk to God all by yourself and you get the law and come back and you tell us what this covenant is. So you know what Moses does? He goes up in the mountain and you know what the Israelites do? They take off their clothes. They dance around a golden calf and uh, they act like a bunch of heathens. So much for keeping the law. And we can see in a minute here how it's broken. But nonetheless, he, so Moses is up in the mountain, and 20 through the next several chapters, God is giving the covenant. So the moral law, commandments, notice next, civil laws, judgments. 
judgments. Look at me at chapter 21. It says there, now these are the judgments which thou shalt, thou shalt set before them. So the judgments, these are civil laws. All right, so I want you to again put on your thinking cap and think this through with me. The Israelites, they leave Egypt and they've been under Egyptian law. They've been slaves. They come out into the desert Now they're establishing their own country. They don't have civil laws. They don't have anything. They're they're just wandering around. And if some laws are not put in place real soon, then every man is going to do what's right in their own eyes. And we're going to have the word anarchy. Total anarchy. And so um, uh, God says, Moses, not only am I going to give you moral laws, but for... Please listen, specific to the nation of Israel, I'm going to give you civil laws. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are we living in the nation of Israel? No. So guess what? These civil laws do not apply to us today. These were laws that applied to them as a nation and them as a nation alone. Okay, so civil laws or judgments. And uh, for the sake of the time tonight, we could read chapters 21 22 and 23, but it's just basically a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, categorically speed limits. It's a bunch of different type of speed limit type things. Uh, if this happens, then this happens. If a man steals this, then this is what's returned and, and sort of the how to, how to have laws. All right, one more category here for you. Notice ceremonial laws, ceremonial laws or ordinances. Turn over to chapter 24, Exodus chapter 24. And most of these ceremonial laws... Uh, would revolve around the tabernacle, later the temple, and would have to do with the, the country's worship. Okay? Look at verse 12. And the Lord, Exodus 24, 12. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tablets of stone and a law and commandment which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, uh, and Moses went up in the mountain of God. And he said unto the el- uh, elders, Tarry here with us. Uh, until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and her, and her uh, with you. If any man have any matter to do, uh, to do, let the, let him come unto them. And so Moses goes up in the mount, and uh, God gives him these various laws, and so ceremonial laws. When we talk about ceremonial laws, we're really talking about the going through and making uh, the, the, the five major sacrifices in the, ta- the tabernacle. And um, uh, I know that, that can sound confusing, but please understand that the ceremonial laws, they were nothing more than a picture, a shadow of the coming Christ. You really want an interesting Bible study. There's some good books out there, materials on it. Go study about how the priests outfit. Every, everything about the priests outfit back then pointed to Christ. Everything. Um, go study about how the, the furniture in the holy place was laid out. Every element of the furniture and where it was positioned pointed to the cross. Even the Israelites, I've shared this in here a couple of times on a Sunday morning, but even the Israelites, as they marched through the desert, they marched through and camped in the shape of a cross. Everything about it pointed to the cross, pointed to Christ. They were ordinances. Now, do we have ordinances in the church era, Jason? What are they? Putting you on the spot here. And Lord's Supper and Baptism. Okay. Does the Lord's Supper save us? Does baptism save us? The ordinances back then didn't save them either. 
We're not under those anymore, but we'll get to that in a minute. So you have moral law, you had civil law, and you had ceremonial law. So these laws were laid out, commandments, judgments, ordinances, and they were told, you need to keep these. If you keep these, then God will do something great. God will make of you a holy nation. So it's stimulus. Speaking of the covenant, covenant of Moses, it's standards. Let us see its shortcomings. It's shortcomings. Go back to Hebrews chapter number 8. We're laying the groundwork here. Hebrews chapter 8. Now look at verse number 8. For finding fault with them of what? The old covenant. He saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Well, that's what we were just reading in Exodus 19, 20, 21. Uh, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. This covenant fell short. This covenant had fault. This covenant had problems. Why? Because the Israelites had problems. Israelites had problems. This covenant was not going to carry them across the finish line. It just wasn't. The covenant of Moses... Um, how bad was it? Okay, who was the mediator for the covenant of Moses? It was Moses. He was the one that went up in the mountain and got it. He came down and, and, and issued it. He gave it out. And then you remember that after they danced around the golden calf and God killed 3,000 of them on the spot and then he ground up the calf and he put it in the water and then uh, uh, he enlisted the Levites to go out and slay a bunch of people who were being rebels and they mass buried a bunch of people. And then I preached on this a few weeks ago. I believe it was um, uh, Exodus 33 a, a few months ago. How that he took the tabernacle and he put it without the camp. And God was going to totally just destroy annihilate the Israelites and then he said okay I'm going to give you the promised land but I'm not going with you I'm going to abandon you and he fell on his face and said if you're not going to go with us then we're not it's not worth the journey you remember this Moses had he not stepped in God was going to just wipe them all out and start over with Moses and um, Moses mediated so the shortcoming his shortcomings even Moses the great leader was not able to hold to the covenant to get into the promised land. So this, this covenant is falling short. You remember he struck the rock the second time? He struck the rock the second time. And what did God do when he struck the rock the second time? He said, oh, you made a big mistake, a big no-no. You cannot go into the promised land. And so we need a new covenant. The Israelites specifically here need a new covenant. Number one, the covenant of Moses. Number two, the covenant of the Messiah. The covenant of the Messiah, I will. Now, the covenant of Moses was conditional on the Israelites. Obviously, they couldn't hold to it. Uh, the covenant of the Messiah for the Jews is conditional on Christ, who is perfect. They don't have to do much of anything. Letter A, notice it was foretold. It was foretold. Look with me at verse 8. Actually, do this first. Uh, we're going to read verse 8 through 12, but before we read it, turn over to Jeremiah 31 and just hold your spot. Come back, put, put a finger in Jeremiah 31 and turn back over to Hebrews 8. Jeremiah chapter 31. 
Jeremiah was one of those long-winded prophets, so you should be able to find it pretty quick. Okay, Jeremiah 31. Okay, you got it? You got Jeremiah 31? Look back at Hebrews 8. Look at verse 8. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because uh, they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man uh, his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, uh, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. And I will be uh, merciful to their unrighteousnesses and their sins and iniquities, Will I remember no more. Go over to Jeremiah 31 and look at verse 31. Chapter 31 and verse number 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the, uh, by the hand um, uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After these days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in, the, in, in their inward parts and write it in their heart, and uh, will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for that all shall know me, shall, uh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Hebrews 8 is quoting Jeremiah 31. And, uh, and here he's saying, hey, the old covenant, it fell apart on you guys, but there is a covenant that awaits you. Well, what is this new covenant? Before I get any further, the new covenant is the new Jerusalem. It's the millennial reign of Christ. It's the nation of Israel being restored one day. And that day of the Lord that's talked about in the Old Testament and the minor prophets coming around and Jesus sitting on David's throne in the current modern day Jerusalem and a river of life flowing out from there and taking, lifting the sin curse from the world. And you know what? The Israelites will reign supreme again in the world. And, you know, there won't need to be any, there will be no need to propagate who Jesus is because he will be, he will be the ruler of the world and the smallest to the greatest will know. This covenant of the Messiah, this covenant of Jesus was told in a dark room in Jeremiah. They did not know how it was going to come about. They didn't know who was going to bring it. But now the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, Jesus is the one that brought in the new covenant. He is the one that's going to usher it in one day. It was foretold. Letter B, it is faultless. It is faultless. Look back at verse number seven. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. So the first one was broken because you all were broken. But the second one is faultless or perfect because it's conditional on God and he is perfect. Verse 8, for finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Let her see, notice its foundation, its foundation. Okay, so we looked at... Moral laws, civil laws, and ceremonial laws a few minutes ago. And we saw 
Look, most of the Pentateuch, I, I can break it down for you this way. Genesis through Deuteronomy categorically, categorically covers two things. One, it tells us the history. And two, it gives us the laws that they were supposed to keep. That's really it. It's the history and it's, it's the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. All right? And uh, it, is, it is long and it is complicated and it is arduous. And it was impossible for them to keep. Now, there are a set, so, so please understand, the, the, the commandments, judgments, and ordinances were the foundation of the covenant. Okay, That was the condition of the covenant, or that really was the covenant. Now we're going to look at the new covenant, and we're going to look at the foundation underneath that. And we're going to see it's all left up to Christ. It's not left up to a human, it's left up to Christ. Below its foundation, notice the preeminence of its mediator. The preeminence of its mediator. We talked a moment ago about how Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, but Moses was a sinful, broken man. Look at verse 6. But now hath he, Jesus, obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator, Jesus, of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. So Jesus is going to mediate... He's going to work. He's going to be the go-between between the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and God the Father. It won't be God the Father sitting on the throne in Jerusalem one day. It's going to be Jesus sitting on the throne as the mediator, the preeminence of the mediator. Notice below that the promise of a renewed heart. The promise of a renewed heart. Look down at verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. And write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Can you, uh, and I don't have this in the notes, so I'm just sort of doing this on the fly here. But can you turn back over to Deuteronomy? Hold your place there. Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it's chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yep, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And um, look at verse... Number six. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now, let me be clear here. It's not that God's putting them there. It's that they are supposed to put them there. Look at verse seven. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So this is a, 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 this is a generational choice that must be made generation after generation and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon a, uh, thine hand and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give thee uh, great and good cities which thou buildest not now did the Israelites do this consistently no they were supposed to talk about the Bible all the time. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in them day and night. It had to have been an intentional choice for them to get up and open the Torah and read it and study it and put it in their heart. In the new kingdom one day, they won't have to put it in their own heart. Look back with me at verse number 10. For this covenant, uh, look at the second verse, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. The promise of a renewed heart. One day when we get to the millennial reign of Christ and we're on the other side, every Jew, and I believe all the, the church will be uh, grafted into this, 
the law will be written in our hearts. You won't have to go memorize the Bible. You won't have to go study God's Word. God's going to write it into your mind and He's going to write it into your heart. The promise of a renewed heart. I was talking to Brother Greer before the service this evening and we were going through over some of the verses in the Bible that deal with the mind. And can I tell you, most of the Christian life, most of the Christian life struggles are a struggle with the mind. If you can't win the battle of the mind, then you can't be a good Christian. You have to let the mind of Christ be in you. Romans 12 says, uh, let, uh, let's see, be not conformed, this world be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. You have to get out of the way and let the Lord renew your mind. Well, one day when we get to heaven, he's going to renew it for us. It's going to be great. The promise of a renewed heart below that, notice the popularity of the Lord. The popularity of the Lord. Look at verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Um, uh, they were commanded to go out and propagate uh, the truth of Jehovah, of Yahweh, because not everyone knew, and uh, it, was, it was their job. Listen, I'm so glad that we have each other to lift each other up when we're having a hard time. You ever have a bad day? We all have bad days from time to time, right? Your legs are hurting, probably having a little bit of a rough day, Pauline, right? And uh, we all kind of go through it where we wake up on the wrong side of the bed or maybe we're just a little grouchy or uh, things aren't really going our way or we don't like the way someone's treating us or we don't like the way things are going. And, and, uh, and you know what? When I'm getting off track, I'm so glad somebody like a brother Mark or brother Mike or brother Bob, brother, one of these guys up here, one of these guys over here, two of the gentlemen in the back, somebody can come along and put their arm around me, maybe a sister can do it to a sister, and say, let me just remind you of the goodness of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? Smile through the trial, man. You're going to get through it. Right? Fake it till you make it. Uh, you're going to make it. There's going to be a day, though, where we don't have to be reminded how good the Lord is because we're going to be living in His presence. The popularity of the Lord. Notice below that, notice below that, the putting away of their iniquities. The putting away of their iniquities. Maybe my favorite verse in all of Hebrews 8. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousnesses. Notice the plurality of the unrighteousness. And their sins, plural, and their iniquities, will I remember no more. Oh, there's so much there. Can I throw a, a theological curveball at you? Is God omniscient? What does it mean to be omniscient? He knows everything, right? So if he's not going to remember our sins anymore, is he still omniscient? Well, if he has forgotten something, that would mean he's not omniscient. He put him away. He put him away. Here's what I believe this verse means. And this may just be my poor interpretation. God may, I get to heaven, God may smack me, smack me over the back of the head and I say, what was that for? You remember October, whatever, 2019, when you said, yeah, that was way off. Okay, that may happen. I don't know. But here's my interpretation of that. Um, you ever had somebody do something uh, to you that just deeply hurt your feelings? We all have, right? Um, you know, you never forget the act of what they did. But you can forget the emotion of how it felt. And I think when God says, I'm going to remember them no more, what he's saying is, I will always know intellectually your sin. But I will remember no more the pain and hurt from that sin. No more. It's gone. 
I'm going to bury it. And God looks at the Israelites. And listen, can we all, all of us that know the Bible semi-well, do we all understand how broken the Israelites were? We have 4,000 years of history to see just how poor, or at least 2,000 years of history, rather, see how poorly behaved they were. The book of Judges, where all these weird, crazy things happen, the, in, the Civil War with Benjamin and the other 11 tribes at the end, and uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, just the great iniquity, the idolatry, the running from God, and, and how they hurt God over and over and over again. And here he says, I'm going to put that away, and I'm going to remember it no more. I'm so glad that no matter what I have in my past, God forgives me. I come to him with a repentant heart, and I get on my knees and I say, Lord, I've done wrong, I'm sorry, and, uh, and I agree with you on my sin that it's wrong. And God says, I remember it no more. I've buried it in the deepest seas. Notice the conditions of this covenant have nothing to do with us or the Jews and had everything to do with the Lord. The last one here, notice the passing away of the old covenant. The passing away of the Old Covenant. Verse 13 is a peculiar verse. When I read it at first, it really threw me for a loop. Then I went back and I looked at the Old Covenant, and it all made sense. Look at verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first covenant. I'm sorry, he hath made the uh, the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish Away. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say back in Matthew that he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it? Now he's here, he's saying it, it needs to fade and vanish away? How does that play together? Okay, remember when we looked at the three categories of the laws? We looked at moral laws, we looked at civil laws, and we looked at ceremonial laws. You know what? The civil laws and the ceremonial laws have faded away. They have vanished away. Why? Because the new covenant has been put in place. And the new covenant is based solely on Christ. What was some of the uh, civil and ceremonial laws? The sacrifices... No more need for sacrifices. Jesus was the sacrifice. Those ceremonial laws about how to offer up your sacrifice, boy, they're not needed anymore. Those have been laid to rest. How about the, the, some of the, the civil laws? Well, now Israel is established, and they don't need those civil laws. So here's what I'll tell you. If someone ever comes and tries to throw pork eating in your face and compare that to homosexuality, you just tell them that two-thirds of the Old Testament law was put to rest with the creation of the New Testament, but the moral law was not put to rest. The moral law stands, and uh, homosexuality kind of fits in that moral law thing, I think. Would you all agree? That fits in that whole moral law thing, okay? So we, uh, we need to know our Bibles. We need to understand how this works. And so what uh, Moses is trying to say here is this. God is promising a better covenant. You need to trust Him. You need to follow Him. God always keeps His promises. He always keeps His promises. Now, Christian, are you finding rest within the promises of God? Are you running to God and finding that rest? Or are you trying to, trying to figure out life on your own? I would just encourage you this evening to remember that God always keeps His promises and that God's covenant to us is very good. Let's stand.